This morning, the Lord being with me, I want to continue where we began last Sunday, review briefly the four rules that we've covered so far. I see very clearly ten rules for financial success in Scripture that we need to learn, remember, and practice. And four of those I covered last Sunday, two in the morning and two in the evening. And let's go through those quickly this morning by way of review. You say, well, all that does is lengthen the amount of time you preach or mean your sermon series is going to take longer. How many of you want to stand right now and quote the four rules and give me the verses for them? I dare say half of you would stutter and stumble and may not even remember the first rule. Review is essential to proper preaching for you to get it, grasp it, retain it, and keep it so that you can use it. So let's go through them quickly. Rule number one was to obey God. To obey God. Do you remember what passage you should turn to and what you should turn to to show someone else rule one? Lay it on me. Haggai. Haggai chapter one. Consider your ways. Say, if the Lord, you've sown much, you have little. You earn wages to put it into a hole with bags. To put it into a hole with bags in it? Better to put it into a bag with holes in it. Consider your ways, saith the Lord. Though they sowed much, though they tried to, though they earned wages, though they harvested, diligence, wise. And the other rules that we'll be covering, they're putting their wages in a bag. They weren't spending it all. Look at all the rules they were following and how successful were they financially. Zero. Nothing was going right for them. I mean, read Haggai chapter 1 and 2. Nothing was going right. Why? Because God had told them to build His house and they had decided it wasn't time yet to build the Lord's house. Look at Psalm 84 and verse 11, a verse that I gave you last Sunday that's been so precious to me for the last 12 years of my life. Just to remind you of this rule from another standpoint. Haggai teaches us that even though you're keeping the other nine rules, if you break the first one, the others are nullified because God wants to be obeyed. Psalm 84 and verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. Now, I told you what that little phrase means. The sun is the source of life and growth in this world. Produce. Anything that you have and enjoy comes from the Lord, and it, most of it comes indirectly or directly from the sun that He has created. The Lord God is a sun, and He is a shield. A shield is a means of protection. The Lord is the source of production, and He is also the source of defense and protection. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory no good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. Now, do you believe that will, no good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly? I hope you do. The first rule of financial success according to the Word of God, and we covered it in detail last Sunday morning, is to obey God. You obey God and no good thing will He withhold. Do you believe that? I feel it's such a loss for words to communicate that point. 
Do you believe that? It's hard. It's hard. I'm fighting, I'm fighting 30 or so of the greatest enemies to the gospel and they're not outside there. I don't need to worry about Southside First Baptist or anywhere else. They're right here. Your hearts are telling you, well, he may do okay and give me a few things once in a while. Now, he said no good thing. Will he withhold? Has he withheld anything good from us? I'm asking my wife, for those of you on tape, no good thing has he withheld from us since 12 years ago when that verse became so important to my wife and myself. I, listen, I'd be at a loss for words if you were to ask me what he's withheld from me. I don't know of anything that he's withheld from me, any good thing that I've wanted. Believe it. It's the Word of God. It's all I can give you this morning. Psalm 84 and verse 11. Do you delight yourself in the Lord? Are you glad and do you rejoice like we read in Psalm 31? It's all through the Psalms. Delighting yourself in the Lord and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I can say that I've I've had all the desires of my heart. I don't know what I desire more than where I'm at right now and what I've already enjoyed. And I'm trusting Him that I'll get the rest. Because God being my helper, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. Because I believe that promise. That's the first rule. Obey God. And that obedience includes just getting downright excited about knowing God. Brother Greg was over on... Thursday evening, Wednesday evening, and we were sitting there composing a letter to a minister. And we both just spontaneously at one point in reading through this letter turned to each other and just about broke down bawling. We were so excited about the fact that we have the truth and we know God and the way He deals in the affairs of men and they don't. And why in the world did you have such mercy upon us, Lord, delighting ourselves in the knowledge of His Word. You know, how many people get excited today about the Bible? Most people don't even carry it to church anymore. It was exciting, wasn't it, Brother Greg? That was rule one. Rule two, pay God first. What passage of Scripture would you turn to to prove rule number two, pay God first? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Let's look at them again. I want them burned into your memories. How many of you have ever memorized the world's rules for success? Little rules of thumb? Little ideas? Tried to memorize how to think and grow rich? And other little tapes and methods that the world has to try to make you successful? Well, these are some that you ought to Memorize. Verse 9 of Proverbs chapter 3. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. How much maybe is there in that verse? It's a shall. God shall bless you and fill you with plenty, and your production efforts will burst forth with produce if you pay God first. And remember, I taught you how to do that. Uh, any income that you receive, you automatically take the top right off of that. You don't even consider it yours. 
It's God's. You say, well, it's mine to give him. No, God said you're robbing me. It's his. Do you know how much of it is his? A hundred percent of it. Do you remember that fact? I've told you before, how practical do I need to get to help you delight in the Lord? Have I told you before? I'm mathematically oriented, not like engineers, but in certain other ways. Probability, statistics, and percentages. How many of you ever sat down, I've told you this before, that I used to do this in my meditation, just sit down and narrow the world's population of four billion down to me. And all that I have and all that the Lord has done for me in my life. Now narrow it down just naturally speaking. Who enjoy the things naturally that we do? Do you ever do that? Do you ever sit down and think how many people in this world enjoy the things that you do? Just naturally speaking. Now that limits it just to a couple hundred million out of four billion. And then once inside that group, you know, let's, let's narrow it down with a gospel. You know the true gospel. Where, where, what do you say? We got 10,000 left? 1,000 left? Pretty narrow. How about to have a church in your own community where you can go every Sunday? How about having a zeal and a love for God that you may see quenched and cold in others? And I, I just thank God that of four billion people, I'm the most blessed. Do you see that? I, I used to do that over and over. I first began doing that sitting right in this city ten years ago at a place called Bob Jones University, wishing I knew what God had in store for my life, but narrowing four billion down to me. No one has been blessed like I have been. You say, well, I can't say that. See me this afternoon and I'll help you. See. <laughs> If you can't say that, you've got problems and you're not being thankful. You're not looking at everything that God's done for each one of you unless you haven't been obedient and you know the Lord has withheld things from you. That's delighting yourself in the Lord. See, I went back to rule one. I, just, I hate leaving rule one. It's the basis for everything that follows. Rule two is paying God first. Remember, God is daring you. He challenges you from Malachi to try me now, saith the Lord. Bring your tithes and your offerings into the storehouse. Remember the point from tithes and offerings? Those poor Israelites were required to give 23 and a third percent. They had to give above that to give an offering. If Jimmy Swagger ever heard that, he'd go wild on the radio. You know that? If he ever knew that the Israelites paid 23 and a third percent, and until you had paid that, you couldn't give an offering? Because an offering was something you gave from your own heart. God required the 23 and a third. They'd go wild if they knew that the Bible taught that. Thank God for the poor widows that listen to those programs that they only know about 10%. Right? Rule number three that we covered last Sunday evening, pay yourself second. When $100 comes into you, the top, whatever percentage you agree on with the Lord, and that's where you should get in a giving contest with God to see who can give the most. That's what he's asking you to do in Malachi. Try me. He's saying it just like that. You say you're being sarcastic with Scripture. Oh, no, I'm not. Read it. Try me. He's daring you to try him. You give him the percentage that you agree with. Let's say that you want to give the Lord 
the tithe. Remember, in that 10%, either you have to have part of that laid aside for the poor saints, or in addition to that 10% laid aside for the poor saints. You contribute toward the church expenses and the support of the ministry, but then you need a portion laid up in store by yourself for the poor saints, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. And don't spend that, friends. If you know what's good for you, don't spend that when it accumulates a little bit and you see something that you've always wanted. The Lord doesn't like that. But after you've taken off that top amount for the Lord, you then take off an amount for yourself because it is a priority. The Lord considers savings more important than spending. And it's very easy to save money. It is. I won't use the adjectives that I'd like to to describe how easy it is. They have to do with infants and idiots. Anyone can save money if you'll take it off the top and limit yourself to what's left. See, God considers savings more important than spending. What verse would we turn to to see that? Proverbs 21.20. I'm glad I heard it this morning. Proverbs 21.20. I hope I can hear it again this evening. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 20. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish man spendeth it up. If your priority is on spending and you say to yourself, well, I'll save what's left, forget it. There is, the savings work that way. We all know better. We've all lived at periods of time in our lives where we were saving what was left. How much did you save during that period? None. Expenses will rise to absorb all available income. Don't forget that, Brother Jeff. When you're dealing with overhead, expenses will rise to absorb all available income. I've seen it. It's the problem with corporate America. There's no requirements on their saving or profits or little requirements like there used to be. And so it is personally. You save first. The top 10% by way of example. By way of example, if you're going to be stingy, 10%, you say, well, now you're getting a little nasty. You just go to your Old Testament. I gave you all the verses last Sunday and see how much the Israelites gave and then ask yourself, does the Lord consider me more blessed now or less blessed than those under the Old Testament? And he that gives sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that gives bountifully shall reap bountifully. You give, let's say, 10% to the Lord, and then you save, let's say, 10%. Well, now you're down to 80%, right? Wrong. Uncle Sam took 15 to 20% out. You're down to 60% to live on of your gross pay. You say, you mean we should tithe from gross income? Or get... No, I don't mean you should tithe, but should you give from gross income? Absolutely. If you don't, you're spending before you give the Lord anything because taxes are... A an expense. You say, well, I didn't have any choice. Well, that's irrelevant. You don't have any choice for rent either. It's an expense nonetheless. But after you pay the Lord first, pay yourself second. That way it's already taken care of and you do not touch that money. The Lord taught you what that money will do for you. And isn't it wonderful for Matthew 25? Jesus taught in Matthew 25 
that a good master, a good Lord, is one who reaps where he does not sow. A wise man, a, an astute financial man, is one who reaps where he does not sow. And remember, that's what totally intimidated that third servant. Why the Lord gave him that talent? And the servant knew. The servant knew what his Lord expected. He knew that his Lord expected him to take that one talent, go invest it, and come back with two talents. He knew that. But the prospect intimidated him, and so it is with too many Christians. They're intimidated to put themselves under the spotlight of financial measurement. Because there is nothing that measures a man more objectively than his financial performance. That's why the Lord said, if you've been faithful in that which is least, you're going to be faithful in that which is much. You can talk about how much you love Jesus. You can be here every service and your mind be away, away from the service half the time, three quarters of the time. So you can deceive people that way, but you can't deceive people in the faithfulness with which you work with money. You let it accumulate so that you have those little things working for you while you're sleeping. You reap where you did not sow. And a savings account is one of the most fabulous things for you to teach your children in early age. Just this week, see, I couldn't arrange this, but just this week, the quarterly statement came in for my children on their massive savings accounts. <laughs> I, know, I know that Rachel earned $1.08 this quarter in interest. But looking at that statement and realizing that someone else had put $1.08 into her savings account meant a lot to her. The concept that 24 hours a day while you're, a child is sleeping, they've got people working for them. Money earning more money. More money. And it's being compounded so that it's earning more money. And the money it earns, earns more money. You say, well, that's not biblical. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, is where that is taught. You reap where you didn't sow. You're getting money you didn't do anything for. You just let time have its way with that money, and that's why it takes time and consistency. Let me, if you would take 10% of your income, every dollar you earn from the age of 15 forward, and let it go, I, I guarantee that everyone in here would be very well off financially. Guaranteed. You say, well, that takes time. Listen, the Lord's arranged everything to take time. We sinned when He put us in this place. And it will be by the sweat of our brow that we earn bread. It takes time, but it works. You pay yourself second or else you'll spend it. You all know that. Rule number four that we covered last Sunday evening was to minimize your expenses. It's contained basically in the same verse. Proverbs 21.20, a foolish man spendeth it up. Everyone has income come into his house. Those income numbers are big. If you're making 20000 a year, remember in 20 years, 400000 went through your fingers. If you're making 30000 a year, 600000 But how long are you going to work? 50 years from 15 to 65? 50 years times 30000 That's $1.5 Through the old fingers. How much do you have to show for it? A foolish man? Nothing. He spends it up. A wise man? Treasure to be desired is in his house. How do you do it? You pay yourself first. You minimize expenses so that you can do that. Look at verse 17 of the same chapter. Proverbs 21, 17. 
And I want everyone in this congregation to think that this verse applies to them because we all have our little problems with this verse. Proverbs 21:17. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. By definition, by definition, you must live sacrificially to some degree to please God. Every man must deprive himself of some pleasures. And if you have spent money so freely in the last year that you can't think of anything you've really denied yourself, watch out. We all have our different weaknesses. Mine right now is books. You know, I'll, I'll confess mine. I mean, there are times where I have to call Sherry in and I do it because my conscience is condemning me and I've got to justify it to someone. You know how we all operate. Call your wife in. See all these books I got for this amount? Look at all these books. I do that. But we all have our different weaknesses and I don't have time to go... Th and I know most of them. There are things you like to do. But if you're not sacrificing, you're not going to get ahead. You say, that's hard work. That hurts. What does God require that doesn't hurt? But can you do it? Can you do it and actually get excited about it? Yes, you can if your attitude and your heart's in the right place. But it takes depriving ourselves of pleasure. It doesn't mean we don't have any pleasure. We just don't love pleasure and are servants to it and are always satisfying what we may be looking for. Let's go to rule number five. Rule number five is something that I've covered before in this church. But before I get to rule number five, let me remind you of a couple things we've covered in previous weeks. The five objectives for Bible economics. Why is it important for you to get ahead financially? To give to the ministry? To give to your children and your children's children? In times of adversity, to have an emergency fund? To be able to help poor saints in need? And to save yourself from church judgment? by pleasing God and providing things honest toward them that are without. Five reasons. We've got to get ahead financially to keep those, as you well know. Last of all, remember, some of the rules I'm giving you, the world would despise. And you're going to say, but I know men who've been successful that haven't kept those rules that you've taught. What does that prove? What does that prove? It proves something. It proves that they are under God's judgment. You say that? How can you make that assumption? If they didn't follow God's order for financial success as contained in His Word, and yet they're successful financially, they've got to fall into Proverbs chapter 1 or Romans 11. The prosperity of fools shall destroy them. See, God has arranged that so that most men will just follow those men and do whatever they say instead of going to His Word. Just like the Jews, God said He would make their banking tables their snare. Romans chapter 11 and verse 10. Their banking tables would become their snare and their stumbling block. Their love, forget financial gain. A lot of them were successful. Ever read? Have you ever read a history of the house of Rothschild? I'll, I'll tell you the author that you ought to read. It is the most fabulous story. 
And no, I don't believe they have any involvement in any conspiracy. The Rothschilds made some horrendous investment decisions in the past 200 years. But for a couple hundred years, they ruled Europe. Let me tell you. And the way they, they got there from nothing. You know how they got there? Implementing Bible principles, but it was the judgment of God. Because he already told us that in Romans chapter 11. They don't really fit the picture anyway since they're Ashkenazi Gentiles to begin with. Rule number five is to work hard. Work hard. You say, well, you've been over this before and that's so simple. You don't need to remind us of that. Hard work is what gets it done. It's what gets everything done in life, isn't it? Anything good in life comes hard. Have we all learned that lesson yet? The good things in life come hard. Look at Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 16. Here's the problem with me even preaching on Rule 5. Proverbs 26:16. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. I mean, if seven ministers got up here and opened the Word of God and taught you that hard work is what brings success and, and money, gain. There's a part of all of us that's a sluggard and it despises that instruction. There's got to be an easier way. There's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a faster way. No, it's by hard work. God doesn't suggest hard work. God doesn't recommend hard work. It's just like savings. People get the idea that I'm preaching a recommended course of action or a suggested course of action. No, I'm not. I'm preaching a commandment of the Most High God for you to save money. And another one is that you're to work hard. You're to work your backside off at your job. You're to work when you're tired and after you're tired. You're to work beyond when you don't think you can work anymore. You're to work hard. The Bible says what you find to do, do it with your might in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. In Romans chapter 12, we read, don't be slothful in business. Paul taught it. Not to be slothful in business. That is a commandment. We are to work hard when we're on the job. The quality of the hours is what I'm emphasizing right at this point. When you're on that job, are you working hard? Is the sweat beating off if you're not in an air-conditioned office? And it's, I've seen it beat off in air-conditioned offices. Are you working hard? You say, well, that doesn't sound like fun. Uh, you want to bet? The most fun in life and the most enjoyment in life is doing things the way God told you to do them. And the harder you work, the better you'll feel and the less sleep you'll need. Did you know that? The harder you work, the better you'll feel and the less sleep you'll need. Can I prove that with a Bible? First of all, do all of you know that already? That if you sleep extra long, what do you feel like the next day? Wasted. Wasted. Drowsy. God has commanded you to work hard. Look at some of the promises in Scripture. Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12. I want to run through a few verses in Proverbs to emphasize the work ethic as being a most scriptural ethic. Proverbs 12:24. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule but the slothful shall be under tribute. People want to know how to bring others out of poverty and out of subjection and give them positions of authority and rule. 
Do you want to be a master in rule? It comes through hard labor. You wonder why people are under tribute? Because they're lazy. That's why. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. If you try to modify that, you're modifying God's word, not mine. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule. And this nation, until recent generations, has been known for its work. Weren't we? And did we bear rule? We ruled this earth as much as any nation ever has. Economically and politically. Our principles of, of government were being copied worldwide while this nation was the great example that it once was. We were bearing rule. Look at all the nations that are under tribute. All they do is pay taxes to the next government who's going to come in and take them over. Why? Go look at them. They love their siestas. Ever been to a country that loves their siestas? Spain couldn't produce enough to keep the city of Greenville going. Do you know why? Because they all break at noon and come back at three. Do you know what kind of a... You say, that's not true. Go read about Spain. I may be mixed up a little bit of my time, but they take... Listen, if you live out in the country, a decent drive that some of you make, they go home for lunch. Take their siesta. Spain doesn't have a large enough GNP to keep this state going. Hard work. If you don't, you'll be under tribute. It's simple. Look at chapter 22, Proverbs 22, and verse 29. These aren't my ideas. These are the words of God. And he has a lot to say about working hard. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. Mean men here aren't men who are angry. It means average or low-class men. He's not going to be around low-class men. He's going to be in the company of kings. What happened to Daniel? What was Daniel? A eunuch. Are eunuchs very popular people to have around? Where was Daniel? In Nebuchadnezzar's court. Joseph, what was he? A despised herdsman. Sold from an Ishmaelite train. Where was he? Number one in Egypt. How'd they get there? Diligent in business. Let me give you an example of one. Look at 1 Kings 11.28. 1 Kings 11.28. Who wrote the book of Proverbs and all this instruction on the work ethic? Solomon. Look at 1 Kings 11.28 and see who the wisest man in the world promoted. We got a promotion in 1 Kings 11.28. A promotion that Solomon made. David here is building, rebuilding some walls in Jerusalem. We read in verse 28, And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man... Now, what do we read over there in Proverbs 22? Seest thou a man diligent in his business? Well, what do we read here? Solomon, seeing the young man that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. It is easy. If you want to get ahead, you work harder than anyone else there. It is so easy... Anyone can get ahead and company with executives or kings if you want to work hard. If you're one of the first ones there, why not be the first? If you're one of the last ones leaving, why not be the last? If you'll work Saturdays without them asking, if you'll work through your lunch, you say, well, that sounds like prison camp. 
We've got the laziest generation that's ever walked. What do you need a lunch hour for? Grab a little bite to eat while you're doing something. Eat in your office if you're in an office. Eat while you're working on the job. Get a little oil on your sandwich. <laughs> Whatever. We don't work anymore. I guarantee anyone who's the hardest worker at their place, they will be promoted until they'll just be promoted right on up and or paid right on up because the Bible said so. And I happen to know the greed that operates any company that exists in America today. It's the greed for gain. And when they've got someone that outworks and outproduces anyone else there, they are going to pay. God said it. And everyone knows who has watched people get ahead that hard work gets the job done. This man was promoted by the wisest man in the world, Solomon. Who did he promote? When he saw what kind of a man? A young man who was industrious. You show me a young man who likes to work up a sweat, who likes to work hard, first one there, last one out, giving every minute, he's going to get promoted. Look at Proverbs 12 and verse 11. Proverbs 12:11. We've mentioned this one before, but it is so valuable. Proverbs 12:11. He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. Let me again emphasize, even though it is boring work, and some of you have boring jobs, I'm not going to try to tell you that you've all got great jobs, but hopefully you should like your job better than maybe I would, and I'm looking at it from my perspective. Whatever it is, whatever you're in right now that you've chosen to be your job, or that by circumstance is your job, the time and chance of God, you be diligent in it no matter how boring it is. And remember, that job that we have described here is boring. I mean, they had money changers back here. They had craftsmen back in these days. And Solomon picked the lowest one, walking behind a plow. He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread. No matter how boring your job may be, be the best at it and make it, make it an exciting job. By getting into it, learning about it, and being the best at what you do. If that doesn't strike a chord in you, you're a sluggard if you don't like and feel an attraction to be the best at what you do. Look at 21.5. But here's the problem. You know, men like to follow vain ideas instead of working a boring job. Proverbs 21.5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty, only to want. If you sit around all the time, forget all the time, if you sit around some of the time dreaming about a better job, Dreaming about a better job. Oh, if I only had a better job. Only if I paid more. Guess where you're going to be? You're going to be wanting. You're going to be poor. What if you take that boring job you've got and work in it diligently and all you can think about is how can I do a better job? Guess what you'll have? Plenty. Can you read it? Proverbs 21 and verse 5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. But everyone that is hasty only to want. If you're always looking for something better than tilling the ground, you won't get the bread. You want the bread, man? Then work hard at the job you've got. That's what the Word of God says. Don't worry about something else. That doesn't mean you don't pursue opportunity. I'll get to that under another rule. But that means while you've got it, don't sit there spending your time complaining and bemoaning the fact that there are better jobs out there you be the best at what you've got and you will be promoted. 
Look at 14.23. I want to emphasize this point. 14.23. In all labor there is profit, but the talks of the lips, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. How easy, though, is it to sit around and talk about making some more money? Isn't it easy to do that? Talk about getting another job and talk about making some more? Talk about getting promoted? What will that lead to if done to an excess? Penury. How do you get ahead? Labor. All labor. There is profit. You don't make a thing when you open your jaws, unless you're a salesman. You get ahead by labor. Don't talk about getting ahead. Do it. It's hard work that God rewards. God has promised in His Word that the soul of the diligent shall be made fat, that the hand of the diligent shall bring fatness. Much more could be said on that, but you've heard it before. The work ethic, work hard, is rule number five. Outwork anyone at your place and you will be promoted. You should be able to see that naturally, let alone God's spiritual promise accompanying it. You know, we, we live in a day when men want to work a 40-hour week. And I've mentioned to you before that if you look at Scripture, the example of the verses that are given to us is that men averaged about 72 hours a week. Six days a week, about 12 hours a day. That, didn't mean, that doesn't mean they never took a vacation or took time off. I mean, they took the first year off for a honeymoon. They weren't to be charged with any business. Deuteronomy 24.5, they did take time off. Jesus himself labored. Wasn't, didn't he do the work of the ministry? He was a minister. But many times we read in Scripture where he went apart for rest. He slept. Wasn't there work to be done? Yes, but there is a place for sleep. But what, what does our generation want? A four-day work week, don't they? Four-day work week? How many days did God give men to rest? One. How many hours did Jesus say were in a day? Twelve. Do you know how many hours there are in a week? How many right now know how many hours in a week? Raise your hands. Okay? You need to memorize that number because it will convict you. There's 168 hours in a week. That's a lot of hours. That is a lot of hours. Do you know how many? You know what a 40-hour work week? What do you do in a 40-hour work week? If you're diligent, you get 30 hours out, right? What does the average worldling work in 40 hours? 20? 25? 168 hours in a week? God's put us here to work. Work is what will get you ahead. 40 hours a week isn't even one quarter of the available hours in a week. There are a lot of hours if you are organized and use them wisely. Someone says, if, I was, if my husband was to work 72 hours from 6 until 6, there wouldn't be any time with the kids. What are you doing from 6 o'clock until 10 o'clock? Four hours a night. You say that's not long enough. Then you don't know how to spend time with your kids. Quantity never helped raise kids or children. It's quality. What do you do with your children? You think the farmers that you came from three generations ago and every generation before that worked eight hours a day? Go read the schedule of old-time farmers getting up at four, coming in at eight. It's not quantity of time with children. It's quality. There's a lot of things you can do even in your work that involve your kids, your children, when you're at home. 
Don't try to give me that excuse. If your present job doesn't allow you enough hours, then you get a part-time job. Get two part-time jobs. Get three part-time jobs. God expects you to work. And especially if you're not on target to have your financial objectives met, get a fourth part-time job. All of you can handle more work or lots of work. Look at Proverbs 19.15 and let me make my point about sleep. Proverbs 19. Have you ever noticed that when you had the most on you, the most work on you, the most to get done, and you were working the hardest, you actually felt the best? How many of you have realized that in your experience? Great. I like to see the confirmation. That's the way it always was with me. I mean, the more work they gave me, the longer hours I was working, the better I felt and the less sleep I needed. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't have a Bible basis for what I knew was happening. Look at Proverbs 19.15. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. Now, it doesn't say slothfulness is a deep sleep. It's telling you what slothfulness leads to. When as you slow down, as you slow down, as you slow down, it will lull you to sleep so that all you can do is sleep. How does hip, how do hypnotists work? But by slowing you down and you'll sleep right under their hands. But when you're in a fury of activity, working hard, you've got a job to get done, you've got goals for that day, you're living life one day at a time, you've got a checklist to get done, and you know that the things you put on your list were put there wisely, that they're going to earn the favor of the manager you work for. You say, well, that's not scriptural. I'll prove you dead wrong on that. You're trying to get ahead and working as hard as you can. You go home at night, you've got a sense of accomplishment. You're worn out physically, but your adrenaline and God-sustaining grace will make you feel better, you'll sleep more peacefully, and you're ready to go at it again in the morning because you've got some new goals to take on for the day. But the minute you slow down from that, it works in a vicious cycle. Lazy people who like to sleep and who don't work hard are there because they made themselves that way. The harder you work and the more you have to do, you know you get it done, don't you? And you feel great about it. You feel the best when you're getting the most done. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. If, ever, if you ever wonder why you're drowsy in the afternoon, always check to see how many hours you slept the night before. You know what usually the problem is? It's not because you didn't get enough. Not usually. It's usually because you got too much. It'll do that. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep. It slows you all down. Look at Proverbs 19.24. God just ridicules the lazy. Proverbs 19.24. He uses sarcasm and hyperbole in one verse. In Proverbs 19.24. A slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. God hears mocking a sluggard. He's saying he hides his hand in his bosom and he's so lazy he won't even bring it to his mouth to feed himself. See, God's mocking sluggards. God has no use for lazy people. 
He's so lazy. And this verse is quoted twice in the book of Proverbs. He can't even get his hand to his mouth again. Are you the hardest worker at your place of employment? If I was to call your, the president of your company or the manager of your division, you say, you, you wouldn't do that, would you? I have done it. And I will do it. And those I have done it for don't know that I did it. How does that make you feel? <laughs> you say, why are you doing that? Do <coughs> you think I like doing that? I mean, I sound like a typical pastor when I call and ask something like that. Because I want you to be the hardest workers on your job because that's providing things honest toward them that are without. Because that's the way you're going to get ahead and because I love you and want you to get ahead, I will do things that aren't necessarily pleasant to do to see if you're doing what you ought to be doing. When was the last time you went to your supervisor and said, what else can I do? When was the last time you went to your supervisor or manager and said, I don't have enough to do. Give me some more responsibilities. What else can I do to help you in this company? What else can I do to make more money for this company? When was the last time you said that? That's a good indication that you're trying to work as hard as you can. And you may need to know some first aid when you ask. <laughs> I mean, that's not what the average worldling is asking for. He's asking, can't we have another break? Can I have another day off? And can't you give me another week's vacation? Just like Sodom and Gomorrah did before fire fell from heaven. Ezekiel 16:49. Remember what they were guilty of? Abundance of sodomy? Idleness. Isn't that amazing? I'll never get over that as long as I live. When I was first shown that in Ezekiel 16, Sodom was judged for an abundance of idleness. Has there ever been a more idle nation than ours that you know of from history? None. Where the whole nation is this idol. Where they have so much opportunity. What do you do during lunch? If you are given a 30-minute lunch break, do you take a 45-minute lunch break? Do you take a 15-minute lunch break? Or do you work through your lunch? You say, well, that sounds like a prison camp again. 40-hour week. You haven't seen most prison camps. You think they work a 40-hour week? What do you do during your lunch hour? When do you come in with everyone else? You the last one there? What does your time card look like? Would you bring me a year's worth of time cards so that I could see out of, three, out of 250 business days that you were there that 230 of them were 801? Punch in and 359 punch out. Would you want to show me that? Or would I see if you had an 8 o'clock starting time, 745, 730, 7 o'clock, 630, 6 o'clock? If you have a 4 o'clock punch out time, I see 415, 435, 538, 10, 1 a.m. 
You say, well, now that sounds sadistic, masochistic, whatever to work like that. That's what a job takes sometimes to get a job done. Don't tell me about I wasn't able to get the job done. There's 24 hours in a day. I've said I couldn't get a job done before. And do you know what the, que the answer that would come back to me where I worked? What did you do last night between 10 and 5 this morning? You know, I had, done, I had used every hour that I could. Do you work that? Are you known for that type of a reputation at your place of business? In Thessalonica, the Christians were known as busybodies. They were known as not earning their bread. Paul went there and he labored from 8 to 5 so that he would be not chargeable to any of them. Is that what the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians 3? That Paul labored from 8 to 5 so that he wouldn't be chargeable to any of them? It tells us in 2 Thessalonians 3 that Paul labored and travailed night and day. Why did he do that? To give them an example. He was preaching on weekends, preaching in the evenings maybe, and working all day and night in addition to that. He slept. human body needs some sleep. But he wasn't getting much if he said he could labor and travail night and day in order to give those Thessalonians an example. The Bible tells you plainly that if you want to get ahead, <coughs> rule number five is not the least important rule. And if any of you are saying in your hearts, well, that just isn't enough to get ahead. Yes, the other nine rules are required in conjunction with rule five. But if you're at a place of business and you have not been promoted, you are not working hard enough. You say, how do you know that? A man that works hard gets promoted. How do you know that? God promised it. God promised it. If you work hard enough, you will get ahead. And the more work you do, the more enjoyable that work becomes. That is a, that is a fact of life that if you can learn it, if our young people can learn that now, the more work you do and the harder you work, the more enjoyable the work is to do. Look at Ecclesiastes 10. Let me prove that. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. If you don't understand that hard work will get you ahead, if you don't understand that, hard work is a curse. If you don't appreciate that if I work hard, if you can't understand basic economics, if my boss or the president of this small company sees me working harder than anyone else, that means I'm making him more money than anyone else. He's going to be able to and want to pay me more money than anyone else. A child can figure that out. We look at verse 15 of Ecclesiastes 10. The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them. Do you know people that when you go up to them and ask them about their job, it's always, oh, it's so hard. I worked so hard this week. They're always talking about their hard work. They sound weary, don't they, about their job? You know what it says about them? They're fools. Ecclesiastes 10.15 The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them. See, labor wearies everyone physically. This isn't talking about physical weariness. This is talking about that wearied attitude. 
if you're getting into your work and realizing that work gets you ahead, that industry precedes promotion, work isn't a weariness, work is an opportunity. More projects being handed to you, more responsibilities, a move from one house to another that requires less care so you can work more at the job. A wise man looks at those as opportunities and gets excited about them because it's more opportunity to work, to work and to work hard. And he understands that that work results in reward, in promotion. It results in being before kings instead of mean men. It results in having treasure in your dwelling. It results in being made fat. But the minute you lose sight of Rule 5, and I'm, I'm saving you right now from weariness of the mind. The minute you lose sight that you can get ahead just by hard work at your job, the one you have right now, if you lose sight of that, your job becomes an unbearable burden. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been there before? When you couldn't, when you didn't wisely look at the end of what you were doing, you had turned it into the old rut. A job shouldn't be a rut. A job should be lived one day at a time with specific objectives for you every day you go through the gate or you hit the time clock. You should realize that you are there for the benefit of your master and tonight I'm going to preach on work smart and your master should know why you're there. When you go through that gate, you should know you're not there for yourself but you're there for your carnal master and above him, your heavenly master, God himself. And you should have set before you eight hours in which you are going to please God by working hard for Him and make your master some money. There, there isn't anyone left with that attitude in this country to speak of. That generation is either retired, retiring, or dead who realized that they were there as servants. I'm going to get to that this evening further, but I want to emphasize the point of the hard work. You are there for your master. Your master could be Southern Bell, AT&T, Roadway, Carolina Power Drives, whatever. You're there for him, not yourself. You are his employee, his servant. No one gets ahead in life. And tonight, this will be made very clear. No one ever becomes a master that isn't the best servant. But if you can learn to be the best servant and oh, how people hate slavery. Slavery is wonderful. I love being a slave. I'm a slave right now and I was a slave for 10 years before I came down here. And I loved it. I loved pleasing a master. People who talk about wanting to have their own job, watch those people who always want their own job because I don't want to work for anyone else. Show me how many of those type of people are successful in all areas of their lives because they're missing something very important and that's learning how to serve another person. Because see, if they can't serve a master in an employer-employee relationship, they won't know how to serve a customer when they own their own business. They won't know how to serve suppliers who have to bring them their goods. Working hard to get your master ahead and to promote your master will result in you being promoted. The Lord has promised this. Rule number five for success. 
for you to get ahead to where you have the finances to meet your scriptural objectives is to work hard. Don't take that for lightly. And remember that if you want to have some peace and contentment, it comes through hard work. The Bible tells us that the sleep of a laboring man is fitful, sweet. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. You labor hard, you'll sleep better at night, and you'll feel better. You will actually feel better and more energetic the harder you work. It's amazing, isn't it? What happens when we do things the Lord's way? May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word to the success of each one in this congregation and to a testimony in this community that will certainly commend the gospel of Christ.